You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Welcome back to part two of this interview with Orf of Ace of Base. Later, he talks about the attack on Jenny and the resulting fallout. But first, back to what he said at the end of part one. I'm going to unpack that a little bit because there's a few things there. <laughs> uh, first of all, rejection. As a, as a yeah. creative person, rejection is very hard. And you really, the way you, you tell it, I know you've told these stories uh, probably a million times in, in your career. And, and so, um, and I'm not saying they change over time, but they, they become easier to tell. I've, I've, I've been there, you know, I do that as well. Um, and you've told it in a way that rejection didn't matter. You just got up and moved on and did something. But doesn't rejection hurt? Isn't rejection really hard? You, wanna, you want to achieve something. You want it to be a successful band. And you're getting knocked down and even told, basically, don't ever contact us again. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, it was, it was like they put up the chainsaw, right? So, yeah, <laughs> completely said we were completely talent and had no talent. It was horrible. I think the, the, this, it, it comes down a little bit to, um, uh, to youth, I think, because when you're young, you're very naive. And some weird self-confidence that I have really hard to, because uh, I tried to find the formula to get this self-confidence, because if I had that formula, I could maybe teach it to people. But we just had this weird self-confidence that we are good and they are wrong. And, uh, and it's uh, very hard to say why, because, I mean, even Jonah's parents and my parents, they didn't like our music. Jonah's sisters didn't like the music. <laughs> so it was, it was only Jonas and I who liked the music. <laughs> but we were so stubborn. We were so stubborn, naive, and said everyone is wrong and we are right. And I, 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 can't, I don't really have a good answer. Trust me, I've tried to find the formula how we can get so stupidly stubborn, but without that stubbornness, we wouldn't have the band today, today or, or then either, right? So I'm very thankful for being so stubborn, but it's just, uh, it's a, I, I, so to, to answer your question, I don't know. Yeah, the other it's thing just, that you mentioned, yeah. I mean, the mid 80s, 85, Sten Halstrom made a statement about uh, remixes and uh, how Sweden could contribute. And this was sort of the basis of where Sweemix came up and where Dennis Pop and, of course, then Telegram being associated uh, with that. You were in Gothenburg, but weren't you aware of this sort of movement that was happening in, in Stockholm at the time? Um, we were aware of the, the things. We had a few DJs in Gothenburg who were in some kind of, you know, they were in championships in Europe and they were winning. So they had a, they had knowledge of what was going on around in Europe. I, I don't think we were so much aware of what was going on underground in Stockholm specifically. Uh, I think I knew more about Dusseldorf music because of the Klingklam studio or maybe the London underground music style, you know, then I, I, that I listened to Sweden. Well, there was a few bands in Stockholm that was great that we followed. Uh, they were actually all signed to, at that time, a record company called Stranded that was owned by the same owner that uh, had a, a Telegram. Uh, so that's, we, we had some kind of a connection with the kind of synth new wave um, in Sweden. However, we were looking much more to UK on music influences and a little bit of Germany too. 
rather than Stockholm. So we didn't know uh, really what was going on, except for these few bands that came out in Swedish in, from Stockholm. Now, the other thing is, and this is, this is a little bit of a joke by me, but uh, with Dennis Pop pl- having the CD and it, you know, playing uh, endlessly revolving in his car, you know, I talked to Raz, Robin Raz recently, and he told me exactly the same story about his father <laughs> and a track that was playing his car. So what is wrong with Swedish cars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this this was, uh, I think this was uh, um, uh, not a Swedish car. I think it was an American car, this one. The stereo was Japanese for sure. I, yes, that's a good question. What, what's wrong with the cars that they get stuck? But uh, I think we both, both Robin Raz and, and Isabel can be very uh, happy that uh, uh, some of the stereo system breaks down sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on from that, the, um, Dennis Pop, uh, he obviously created, in a sense, then the sound that was uh, Ace of Bass. How did that sound diverge from the original demos that you had uh, created with uh, Jonas? So uh, Dennis Pop's magic fingers was not to add anything. It was actually to, to erase things, to minimalize things, simplify things. And that was his very unique talent. Um, I mean, Dennis Pop couldn't play any instruments, but he had a very good ear. So basically the first thing he did with all our songs we, that we worked with him was actually basically to take out 50% of the melodies. Boom, out, gone. And some, some melodies, for example, some of the melodies that we had in all the Siobhan's that we had to take out from the, from the track became Happy Nation later on. So it was not like they completely disappeared. Some of the tracks, some of the hook lines, we ended up in songs later on. Uh, but he simplified things. And also he was amazing when it came to doing drum beats. Um, and this is also from a technical point of view. We were working uh, with a program called um, Cubase, and Cubase um, uh, grooves were not very groovy. Uh, it was very stiff, very uh, computerized. They, he was working with Desk um, uh, working with Logic, which they had a little error in the in the in the sync clock, so it actually the, the grooves moved around a little bit. So it was much better and easier to do good grooves with this program. We didn't work at all the same way. We worked very different. And, and um, um, so when he, he obviously he completely killed all our drums, everything, and we built it up from scratch. And he just had his magic finger for what, what actually worked both on radio and in the dance floor. And also another thing that was very helpful was that he played, he played every evening in different nightclubs. So you can take the ta- demo tape, go to the nightclub, test it live, check out what part did work and what didn't work because you see the audience, how they react, and then go back to the studio afterwards and change these parts and add something and then test it again. So we could, we went back and forth, back and forth and tested it live, how, what, what was working, which was incredible to actually have that tool at hand. And that's really how Dance Pop created his, the perfect, I mean, rhythms and the buildup of songs and so forth that became the famous Swedish sound, Sherian sound. I mean, the famous Swedish sound, I mean, you, you were so successful and uh, in the States, which was not usual at that time at all. How did you come to the attention of America? Um, yeah, well, that's also an interesting story because um, we, um, 
after conquering well Nordics with Mega Records, and we started to work with the Polygram, which is now Universal in Europe and UK. Of course, UK for us was in enormous market, and we were very flattered that actually we did start to play on top ten, and, and we started to do top of the pops and all that stuff. And of course, you know what MTV? Not forget MTV that. We, without MTV, I'm not sure we would have the success because MTV just picked up all that she wants and started to play it so much. And through MTV, different channels in Europe and of course also in America. But when it comes to America specifically, um, uh, Clive Davis, who is probably still today the biggest legend in record industry, um, uh, had this record company called Arista Record, which which our record company, little record company in Denmark, really wanted to work with him. He, I mean, he founded so many different bands over the years, and um, uh, we were rejected three times uh, by Clive. He didn't like music. He couldn't see the fit in America and so forth. And then, the summer '93, he was in Europe, and uh, he started to. He was on a boat and he was in, in Spain and then in France and then in Italy. And everywhere he went on restaurants, nightclub, radio, uh, um, bars, they all played uh, all the Jones or actually a happy nation as well at that time. So he was very surprised to hear that everywhere, how big impact we had in Europe. So when he came to, back to New York, apparently there's a lot, was a few DJs who had picked up the songs when they were touring and played in Europe, like in Ibiza and uh, south of France and uh, Greece and so forth, picked up all the ones and they started to play it on radio in, in America. So we started to kind of bubble on some lists in America and he was reading about it. And then he made a decision to actually sign us up. But it was it took a few years for him to say no, say no, say no. And then he just realized, I probably should actually get onto the train. Of course, his version is that he immediately heard that we were a success, but that's not really the full <laughs> true story. And then, of course, he did a fantastic job um, reforming it a bit because, I mean, we were kind of surprised working in America. It's very different from Europe, obviously. And um, fame in America is it's on a completely different level than, than in, well, you have kind of a little bit, obviously, starred larger than life thing in, in the UK, but we, in Sweden, we don't really have that stuff. And I'm very happy that we were from Gotham. We're very simple people. But in, in America, you could become so big when you're famous, right? So they really lift you up in the sky. And if you believe the hype, you're in trouble. Uh, I think we were lucky that we kind of had our foots on the ground. But um, uh, Clive said, I, I need more singles. Otherwise, I won't release the album. And we had that time already sold 7 million albums and released like five singles that were hit. And it was like, Clive, we just started to record our second album now. So you better release the first one, otherwise you're gonna miss the second one. No, 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 no. I'm not releasing any albums here and no singles before I have two more hits. Uh, wow. And that was a tough discussion with him, trust me. But of course he was right. He came to stock to Gothenburg and he was listening to songs that we were preparing for the second album. And he picked four songs, and two of them is The Sign, and the second album was supposed to be called The Sign, and then it was Don't Turn Around. And, um, and they became obviously very big hits in America. And when we got that, he said, now we have the album, now we have the hit, now we go. And then after that, we sold 25 million albums instead. <laughs> so he was right, even though it didn't make sense at all for us in the beginning, but that was a very healthy, unusual argument that we had. Success brings many different things. You mentioned fame, and you mentioned that Sweden deals with it slightly differently. 
uh, fame brings enormous attention. It brings pressures. And if you're in a band, it brings interpersonal pressures uh, in the brand. It brings a lot of money. And that money, although it's, you know, would be wonderful to earn a lot of money. On the other side, there's also the pressure of dealing with that, that money. And also as a band, there was a negative aspect that um, Ace of Base were, and it's a little bit like ABBA were at the beginning. They weren't treated really seriously uh, as musicians at the beginning. And over time, that seems to have changed. But how did all those pressures uh, sort of affect the relationships within the band? Um, yeah, that's a few questions uh, in one question. Um, I, if I start with the, um, the critics of the Swedish, well, of, of, of our music, I think the main critics came from Sweden. I, I, however, there was probably critics everywhere, of course, but uh, I think in America, we, we got a, a very good, we, 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 uh, we uh, had a lot of good press for the music because they thought it was so unique. And I think the, Amer in the American society can actually be appreciated when you are unique and, um, uh, and so forth. But in Sweden, we had a very similar story to ABBA that they really killed us in media in Sweden. <laughs> they, they said basically the same thing that the record companies have said, that we were the worst thing ever came out. They were ashamed they were Swedish. Somebody described our music that it was like somebody who had uh, thrown uh, rotten uh, uh, spaghetti in the face, uh, kind of that level of of of, uh, of, <laughs> of criticism in Sweden. So we we basically stopped reading Swedish newspapers because it was not nothing good in it at all. Uh, I think around the world, it kind of became uh, more of a positive phenomena with the pop and positive energy and and, and message. I think um, pop music haven't been really on the tracks at the, at the time. And also in the US, there was a lot of hip hop, a lot of soul, but it was not that much pop. So we kept, I mean, timing wise for us was, per, was perfect music wise. Um, so um, from a creative point of view, I, I, we, we just stopped listening to the, to the negative thing. We tried to focus on the positive. And then we were so busy as, as well, because we, we were basically traveling around the world 24 seven, doing interviews in every corner of the planet. Uh, Japan one day and the US the other day, then Brazil, then Germany, then the UK, and then back and forth. So we didn't really have time to follow up all the media either. We had quite, we became a little bit more structured uh, after, after a while, not just being us four and, and, and doing it ourselves. We had obviously the, the back end of, of Mega Records and then of course with Universal and Polygram and then later on with Aris as well. But of course, the other backside of being very successful uh, hit us quite hard with uh, the incident um, uh, end of 93 uh, with Jenny, where we had a crazy fan uh, that broke in uh, to her apartment, to her house uh, with a big knife. And uh, she woke up with a fan uh, holding a knife to her throat. The crazy German fan, woman, which is this big, big uh, woman. And she basically stabbed uh, through the oak door with the knife. And, um, um, and then she woke up with, uh, with, with her sitting on her with a knife on her throat. And uh, luckily, Jenny can speak a little bit German. 
because this girl didn't speak any, any English. And she said, I need, I need to see your mom. I need to see your mom. And, um, and the, the parents were living upstairs uh, and the other siblings were not home. They were kind of semi-living with their girlfriend, boyfriends. Uh, so she was the only child home. And uh, so the, the, the fan brings her with a knife on her throat and drags her up the, the stairs. And then um, they wake up the mom and the mom comes out and she stabs the mom and she gets the hand up. She, she puts this knife through the hand and then stabs another time. And then the father wakes up and they could wrestle her down and call the police. But it was, it was a very, uh, very traumatic uh, hour of a hostile and violent situation in their home. And this is also a place where she was born. And after having so much success in the world, this is the only safe place you have. And being attacked in your bed, in your home, where you've been basically born in this house, uh, was uh, such a viola violation of her privacy that was very difficult to, to handle. And after that moment, our lives went from, wow, it's great to be famous. And uh, it's such a freedom to be famous because you can get in anywhere. And, you know, suddenly we had to have enormous security, um, um, really advanced security, bodyguards, a lot of bodyguards and live in uh, hidden homes and secret addresses, changing names and hotels and and uh, we lived with that security measures for over 10 years because um, there was a lot of, I mean, a lot of, and this was a fan who loved us. But I mean, if you look at what happened with John Lennon, it was also a fan, right? And it, in America, it happens quite a lot. I, I, I have I've noticed the last 20 years, there's actually been a lot of attacks by fans in the U.S. specifically. So it's not, it's not like it's unique, unfortunately. It happens all the time, but it's very unique for Sweden. And I think it's quite unique for Europe that this happened, especially at that time. So that changed everything for us. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Do you remember the moment you heard about it? Yeah, I was actually, uh, we were supposed to do some recording. So I was in, I didn't live in Gothenburg at that time. I lived in Spain or London. I think I lived in London at that time, but I was in Gothenburg. We were supposed to record something. We just came back from Brazil. We've been touring there. And uh, so I basically, I got a phone call in the middle of the night when I, when I heard it. So, and then of course, the first thing that happens when Jenny goes to the police station to take photo on her with, with blood on her pyjama, pyjamas and the, and the, the uh, intruder uh, and the knife and all that stuff. And, and some, Police guys sold this for like you know 500 euros to the media, and the next day it was world news. I mean, it was front news everywhere. It was not 93; it was 94 because we were big in America at that time. So it was world news everywhere: CNN, BBC, uh, Fox News, uh, you name it. It was everywhere, and uh, that was the last thing we wanted was actually pictures with Jenny completely in blood in the morning. But so, so, but that's how media works, right? And also, unfortunately, leaks from from police stations as well, everywhere in the world. I was just surprised he did it from Sweden because uh, here we normally have a little bit more control over these things, but it, it just changed our lives completely after that day. Yeah, but we decided to continue, uh, which was good. It was very strong of Jenny to, 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 um, to be able to handle this because it was not that we had time to take a six months break here. We used in completely middle of a promotion tour, next album, uh, touring, blah, blah, blah. 
So there was this show must go on. And but she still had, I mean, she's still working on, on the issue still today, 30 years later almost. I mean, I remember um reporting on the story on MTV News mm -hmm. and it being a totally shocking a story that had never, you know, I'd never reported on something so shocking uh, mm. um, before. And clearly that was a moment where it, as you said, it changed the band forever. And in essence, I presume it was, even though the band carried on for a while, it was in essence um, the beginning uh, of the end uh, for the band. Were you aware immediately that this was it in terms of long term? No, uh, not at that time, because we were so focused on doing our jobs. And basically, it's a little bit like you are in water up to here to the nose, and you kind of you don't have the millimeters, uh, to, you don't have any margins in anything. We were so much into trying to uh, do our best in the, for, for all the record companies that were dragging us around the world and also to tour and also to create new music for the next album and the next album after that. So we kind of didn't see it coming uh, that this, but it, it's, you're completely right. This is actually the beginning of the end, even though that end lasted for quite some time, but it did change the band a lot and it did change Marlins, especially uh, this specific event that she, because she she was not very happy traveling with us from the beginning and the more pressure she got and the more pressure the band got the more um, distance she wanted to be from the band but she was kind of the main singer in the band and also especially when we when we hit in America um, Clyde Davis wanted her to really front the band much more. We knew the problems that she did not want to front the band. We wanted Jenna to front much more, but Clive didn't accept that. So he completely recut the videos in America. So we only saw it Marlin suddenly. And that was the last thing we wanted to do. So she got even more focus. And then when this accident happened or this violation happened, uh, of course, this didn't really help Marlin's state of mind either of being a pop star and she didn't want to speak about her life and she didn't like, she's, she's had a lot of integrity. And um, for her, this was definitely the, 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 the sign for her to, I don't really like this at all. I want to get out. So, I mean, she wanted to leave the band already in the 93, but we kind of begged her to stay in the band. So uh, I think there was, there was a few, few reasons why this was the beginning of the end. Um, but we, we, we were more focused on the problem with Marlin rather than uh, this specific incident because there was a lot of incidents with not this dangerous, of course, but more smaller incidents that were, was also problematic during the, the ride. You mentioned earlier about um, the influence or the, you know, that this was a band that brought pop music back to the charts in America at that time. And today, you know, you have people like Lady Gaga, uh, Katy Perry, who cite Ace of Bass and, uh, and your music as being very important to them. Um, how does that make you feel? Well, incredible crowd, proud, of course. It's just uh, these are amazing, uh, talented stars, artists, songwriters. Uh, and I, which I also actually share this, the, the, their music. I love their music. I listen to their music. 
Um, and um, I'm very flattered to see that they have taken uh, our son and developed it and made it their own and done something else. This is what we call evolution in music and evolution in, in culture. Uh, so I'm, I'm, very, I'm very happy and flattered for it. And uh, of course, our uh, Swedish producers have, and songwriters like Max Martin, for example, have done an enormous, fantastic job of, of, of holding this Swedish pop phenomena alive for so many years. And then the, he was always the protege from, from Dennis Pop. And now from, from Max Martin, we have Shellback and all these other guys taking over. So it's kind of a never ending production of Swedish songwriters and producers uh, coming out still today, which is, um, which is amazing. I'm very proud of the whole ecosystem that we created here in Sweden, in Stockholm. Now, I know that Ace of Base went on, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to ignore that part because we're sort of running out of time. And then, you know, you had two other different singers. You had a hiatus. Who's, you know, you've had the comebacks and so on and so forth. But you yourself uh, went into tech, didn't you? And you um, are now an investor in tech. What does that give you that creating music didn't? Um, well, I think tech and music for me always have been married because we've worked with tech and computers and of course synthesizers, samplers all our lives. So that's a natural part of tech. And I, I, as we discussed earlier, I was, when I was a young kid, a programmer. So I was always excited by the tech, tech industry. And in the mid nineties, I started to be involved with a few music tech companies and uh, more as an investor. Um, and then of course we had the famous dot-com crash 2000. And then I was a little confused. Is this completely a dream that this should work or not? And, but of course, as we see today that we were not wrong. We were just too early at that time, but I got involved very early on with tech. I was very excited about it. And I founded a lot of companies uh, in, especially within the music tech industry. Um, uh, amongst those, uh, one company we uh, is an ed tech company that we work together with Gibson um, to teach people to learn how to play uh, guitar. Um, but for me, this is a very as another way of getting my creative nerve um, um, uh, to work and, and get my my crazy ideas out when I work with these different, especially with app technologies. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm laying much more and more into impact investments as well. So we're doing a big project, a few projects in Africa to help entrepreneurs become uh, uh, more, get tools and the education they need uh, in uh, South Africa and uh, Kenya and Rwanda and so forth. So that's, that's something I'm, I'm, it's really close to my heart to take my experience with the music and also with the tech and try to help um, uh, different societies outside of Europe. Oh, just one final question. Are you still in contact with Jonas, Jenny, and Marlin? I'm in contact with Jonas. Uh, Marlin, I haven't seen for... Actually, I spoke about this uh, with someone a few days ago. I don't even remember when I saw Marlin last time, but it probably is... Soon is 20... I haven't seen it for 18 years at least. Uh, Jenny and I meet once in a while in Gothenburg. We go with our kids to the big fun field there called uh, Liseberg. Uh, we meet and we do some rides together. Uh, we don't really have regular contact. Jonas and I, we do speak on the phone uh, normally a few times a year. 
uh, sometimes more intense when there's something that's going on. Uh, because I, I do work very actively with the band. We work with the, with the documentary now and we, we're doing um, a lot of syncs with the movies and uh, remixes. And I'm working with a lot of different universities and schools and so forth uh, with the band. So sometimes I need to have Jonas on board on these projects. Um, but he's he's very very happy to be in um, in uh, in Gothenburg and uh, Marlon is in Gothenburg and and, and uh, Jenny is in Gothenburg, so we don't really interact too much. Just only when we have to interact. Um, I think we all have different interests. They all like a silent life, and I I'm kind of the opposite. I, I like to travel. I have my adventures around the world, but kind of traveling the same way as I did during the band days. <laughs> Sounds fabulous. Well, listen, it's wonderful to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy that you seem happy and, and content in your life and uh, you achieve so much um, in terms of music. And I'm sure you're going to achieve as much in the tech area. So Ulf Egbert, thank you. And uh, hope to see you again soon, maybe in a bar in Gothenburg, but you're in Stockholm. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully so, I will be going to Stockholm, so I'll see you there. It's, <laughs> it's so nice to just hear your voice. It brings back so many good memories. So it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Steve. And that was it for the interview with all from Ace of Base. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.